The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the post and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here with Ward Sharp, as we always are on Wednesday, marching on week seven in the NFL. Excited to do so. Got some games lined up. But the other thing that's back is also the NBA. If you listen to other podcasts on this feed, East Coast Bias, those guys have a fantastic FanDuel same game parlay for the NBA. We've been doing those for the NFL. They're fantastic for the NFL, NBA as well. I love that East Coast Bias show, but this show's better. I'm a little bit biased, but Warren, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, last week's games, I think, were a little bit more enthralling than this week's slate, but uh, certainly there's some captivating games on deck, and I think you picked out four good ones for us to discuss here. Yeah, excited to get into the games. Games are going over today. Indianapolis Colts at Tennessee Titans. Titans, two and a half point favorites at home. I think that game is a big one for AFC South Futures. It's a big interdivisional game. Giants at Jaguars. Jaguars favored by three, despite the Giants at five and one, and everyone rushing to Dayball and Martindale and Barkley and Jones's praise. We're also going to go over the Jets at Denver Broncos. That line's been coming down. Broncos were favored, I think, by two and a half, three to open and is down to one and a half at home, getting some money on the Jets there. And then the Kansas City Chiefs at San Francisco 49ers to close out. 49ers are three-point dogs at home. I think that's going to be one of the bigger games of the week. Before we get into that, something I added to my intro as well is I sent something out, and we've talked about this conversation a little bit before. Uh, I sent something out on Twitter. You know, uh, Ben Baldwin does a good job of sending out his power ratings that essentially look at market-derived power ratings using, you know, um, get the spread and how that team would be favored on a neutral field to kind of set how betting markets see the league. And in that, you see the Giants, the Jets in the 20s in terms of power rankings, whereas a team with one win, the Raiders at 15th. And you know, something I said out, something I mentioned on this podcast is just how overvalued and blinding wins can be in determining team strength. That's not that's not that they're overvalued and blinding in what actually happens on the football field. That's not that they're overvalued. Winning football games matters. But when you're determining team strength and betting teams, wins can often be very blinding. It's why, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are favored this week against the Giants. It's why the Denver Broncos are favored this week against the New York Jets is it's still their team strength for whatever reason, right? Whether it's quarterback edge, whether it's you know defensive talent edge, the betting markets see a lean on those teams. And I think it's important that when you are betting the NFL and when you are you know looking to like bet futures in this league, it's important that you're looking at 
um, obviously team strength independent uh, of wins. I, I don't know. I, I think I brought this up with you multiple times. Uh, your, your reaction to that and how, I guess, team strength is determined by the public versus team strength determined by these markets. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I don't know how the public determines team strength. Uh, I would assume that they do overvalue wins. Obviously, we as pro bettors, the groups that I work with when we are comparing numbers, we like one of the things that we never look at or factor in is actual wins, how many wins a team has. That's absolutely not factored into anything that we are doing. But there is the potential that the public is looking at what the New York Giants at five and one as three point underdogs against the Jacksonville Jaguars at two and four and saying, how could a two win team out of six games be favored by three points against the New York Giants. I'm not sure if that's what they're saying or, or or reacting because, you know, that's not something that we look at whatsoever. Absolutely not in any capacity do we look at that. We do take a consideration to it when we're looking at futures because we have bet a lot of these teams on the futures market. So certain games have big swings for us, right? Like a game like the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Dallas Cowboys. That was another example where you had, obviously the Eagles were undefeated, but they're laying seven points at close against a Dallas Cowboys team that was on a roll and had won what, like four straight games and was four and one on the season versus a five and O team. And how could this team be laying seven points at home in this spot? Uh, for for us, we don't look at well. This team is five and zero, oh, and this team is four and one. What we're looking at is the the power ratings, the strengths of both of these teams, how they match up, which is also not factored into power ratings either. Is the actual matchup on all offense and defense and weaknesses and team strengths and things of that nature that that like kind of interact with one another on the per week basis. Uh, but like a game like that was vital for division futures, for playoff futures, for odds to win the NFC, for best record in the NFL, and all of these things we have future bets on. So we care about the outcomes of these games um, from a win-loss perspective, but we don't care about the records going into the games for sure. All right, off of that and into Indianapolis Colts at Tennessee Titans. Titans are two and a half point favorites at home in this matchup. I, I do think that I, I was a little bit surprised to see the number at two and a half. I thought this number would be closer to one and a half. And that actually on FanDuel right now is at minus 120 Titans by two and a half. The total set at 42 and a half. Matt Ryan is coming off one of the best games of his career. Maybe and obviously the best game in a Colts uniform. 42 of 58, 389, three touchdowns, zero picks. I, he was throwing it around the yard. If you go to Next Gen Stats and look at his um, you know, heat map, essentially, or his passing chart, he was hitting every window in that game. Had a phenomenal week six um, against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense that we've talked about on this podcast as being Good. And I think on the previous week, we talked about how that Jacksonville Jaguars defense could slow down and get pressure on Matt Ryan. But man, the offensive line is still a mess. He still ranks 21st in drop back you know, pressure rate. He's still getting. But this receiving core with Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, the rookie, and Matt Ryan looked really good last week. Your, your opinion of this Colts offense, I know it's been kind of up and down, but what's your opinion of this Colts offense, Matt Ryan, as they go into Tennessee? I mean, they should have lost last week. Uh, they should have. The, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars outplayed them. And this was a team, obviously, that just relied, had to rely on, what is it, like 58, something close to 60 dropbacks from Matt Ryan just to move the offense and try to get back into this game. Um, oddly enough, this game against the Tennessee Titans, I, th I think that they will probably be able to utilize a similar game plan. I don't yet know if we're going to get Jonathan Taylor up for this one. And obviously, him being out was was was... I don't know, potentially a blessing in disguise because that's what's got them into this game plan, which is ultimately what got them the win because I don't think they would have had much success running the football on the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, not the way that their O-line has been run blocking and, and not the way that Jonathan Taylor has been playing. Um, but this defense of the Tennessee Titans is one of the biggest pass funnel defenses in the NFL. They rank number 29 versus the pass and number three versus the run. So you should try to throw the football a little bit more on these guys um, to have some success. So I, you know, I, I think the Indianapolis Colts are still somewhat overrated. Um, and, but, but I agree that the Tennessee Titans are as well. Um, and I'm looking at what Derrick Henry could potentially do in this spot also. And I was looking at a strong 
Indianapolis Colts run defense just get abused by the Jacksonville Jaguars run offense last week. They gave up nearly 3.3 yards before contact per rush attempt on early down running back runs, 6.2 yards per carry, 55% success. I mean, this is music to Derrick Henry's ears. He's going to be able to just trample these guys potentially. Um, and this is a spot where, you know, you're going to want to try to come up with through the Colts and play the run, slow down Derrick Henry and force Ryan Tannehill to beat you through the air. These are two teams that know each other well, but the Titans have won and covered four straight games against the Colts. They know their opponent well. They play really well against them. I think this is going to be a gross game. I mean, that the total is, has been bet up from 42 to 42 and a half. Some spots were, were at 43. It got slammed to the under just this morning. Um, I, I'm not really excited to watch this game, but it does carry a lot of weight in terms of who's going to win the AFC South. That's how I'm thinking about you know, this game as well. Colts right now are the division favorite at plus 120 on Fandle. Titans there at plus 160, and they're the favorite in this game to win. I think they're 3-2-1. Three, 3-2-1. Two, Three and two on the season had the bye last week. I, I think coming off the bye, I, we haven't talked about bye weeks on this on this podcast yet, Warren. Where where does your model look at rest and and compare it to? Obviously, the Colts did not have a bye this week. Titans coming in on a, on um, you know multiple weeks of rest. So, bottom line, just big picture for teams off of rest. A, it generally helps. The only lone exception is if your team was like massively rolling, then you do have to ask questions. You know, did this time off? cause added distractions to the team's schedule that then could slow some of their momentum down. But for the most part, you're not going to have teams that are massively rolling into these things in a league of parity. So uh, that's that's one consideration, but not a main one. The buys are more impactful and useful later on in the season, and teams with added rest does make a bigger difference later on in the season. It also doesn't hurt good and well-coached teams that are playing with worse rest than their opponent, but it absolutely hurts worse teams or teams that aren't as well coached when they are playing at a rest disadvantage. So, you know, week 14, week 15, week 13, week 16, any of these weeks in the season, when you are looking to back an underdog that is worse, or you're looking to potentially, you know, lay a small home favorite and, and they're at a rest disadvantage, you may want to double check your notes. You may want to reconsider that because those are the spots that generally don't fare nearly as well. Early in the season, not quite as big of a deal, but I did look up some numbers for Derrick Henry when he is off of a bye, and he has been you know, a little bit more productive from an EPA per play perspective, um, a little bit more productive from a success rate perspective. Yards per carry, kind of similar. Overall, having extra rest and healing up a little bit hasn't really seemed to make a massive difference for him, but it's an extremely small sample size at the same time because he's only had so many buys and last year he was out. So it really hasn't been as much of a factor over the last several years for him. My lean in this game is to continue to look at the futures market a bit and, and, and back the Colts, maybe at plus plus two and a half, but also at plus 122 on the money line. I think the added rest is maybe stretching this line from minus one and a half to minus two and a half. But every way I look at it is even if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play and that continues to have them you know, throwing the football. And I think if you look at last week, a lot of crossers for Michael Pittman Jr. He was running you know, over the middle of the field constantly. And that was like not necessarily an extension of the run game, but it was a lot of shallow routes that they were getting open and making plays after the catch. And then Alec Pierce, you know, in that last fourth quarter, winning one-on-one. Like, I think this passing attack is getting better every single week because they have talent there, right? They have talent at, in Michael Pittman Jr. I think Alec Pierce is exceeding expectations. And Matt Ryan, even though his arm is nowhere near what it was, is still a capable starting quarterback in this league. The issue has always been the Colts' offensive line. They rank 30th in yards before first contact per attempt with, without Jonathan Taylor. Like, they're not creating push-up front, and Matt Ryan's under constant pressure. The passing game, I think, is the better of the two evils in that they can get the ball out quick and get it to guys that can make plays after the catch. That's Pittman. That's Pierce, even. That's Paris Camel. Even Jelani Woods, Moai Cox. And I think it's, it's, it's scary to think about how big this receiving core is. And I think that makes things difficult for opposing defenses that 
don't have a lot of experience going against some of these bigger guys. Michael Pittman Jr. is six foot four. Alec Pierce is six foot three. Jelani Woods and Mo Ali Cox are both six foot six. Like they have big, big receivers that all can make plays after the catch. And I think opposing quarterbacks are struggling with that, even on the shallow routes, right? I think you know when you look at Michael Pittman Jr.'s like average route depth last week, very close to the line of scrimmage, a lot of crossers, a lot of drags, and those things, and he still was able to have a lot of success, and he almost came down. You know, with an additional touchdown in that game, I think he dropped uh, as the ball hit the ground. So I like this Colts offense a lot, especially after last week. That may seem like recency bias. This Colts offense hasn't hasn't been particularly good through six games. But I think without Jonathan Taylor and this new lean on a quick, shallow passing attack is catering to Matt Ryan's strengths and it's helping them put up points. Maybe they shouldn't have beat the Jacksonville Jaguars last week, but it helped them put against points. Whereas the Titans, outside of the rest, I don't see significant positives to back consistent winning for the Tennessee Titans. They're at 26th in yards before first contact per attempt. That's with Derrick Henry there. They're allowing pressure, I think, at the third highest rate in the NFL. Their defense is 28th ranked in yards allowed per game. Like, I am worried about the long-term prospects of this Tennessee Titans team. I'm not betting them at plus 160 to win this division, even though they have the lead at three and two. And I don't, I actually like, if I'm going to lean anyway, minus 116 for the Titans to miss the playoffs. That's probably another futures bet that I'm looking at as well in this game. So my lean officially, Colts plus two and a half, Colts money line, probably a half unit on the money line. And then even looking to bat, to, to fade the Titans further at minus 116 to miss the playoffs. Well, all I can add is that the Indianapolis Colts always start slow under Frank Reich, and then they get things back on track. So this is the point in time when we should be expecting them to get more back on track. Um, and obviously, they are off of two consecutive wins, and they, they probably obviously need to win this game for the division, for the future of this team. The Titans coming off of an early bye, they also can't blow that opportunity playing the Indianapolis Colts at home off the bye, need to win this game too. It's one handicapping note here, like the Tennessee Titans are massively a first-half team. Um, It's one of the reasons that I bet them over their team total last week um, that hit, and they've gone over their first-half team total. Sorry, their first-half team total to be specific. uh, And they've gone over that for weeks now. Um, They are averaging a ton of their points in the first half of games, 85% of them are coming in the first half, the highest rate of any team in the NFL. And they've been very good still inside of the red zone. We thought that this might tail off at some point with losing Arthur Smith. That obviously hasn't happened. This team has been very good calling plays uh, still inside of the red zone. So, I mean, there's a very good chance that the Colts fall behind early in this game as a result of Tennessee playing at home, as a result of uh, Tennessee uh being so good in the first half, coming out with such good scripts and uh, performing so well inside of the red zone. However, if that is to happen and you were pre-flop leaning towards the Indianapolis Colts, great live betting opportunity, taking the other team that's going up against the Titans after the Titans get out to a 7-0 lead or get out early if they are going to end up jumping out early here because this team completely melts in the second half of games. Looking at FanDuel right now, if you want to back the Titans first half total, it's set at 10 minus 125. And then you can also get it at 10 and a half. And then that money that flips to plus 112. If you want to bet them at 10 and a half, that's the first half team total. All right, let's get to New York Giants and Jacksonville Jaguars. We've talked about the Giants a lot on this show. I think every single podcast in America is talking about the Giants with how, 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 how successful they've been. Benjamin Solak, an analyst and writer here at The Ringer, wrote an excellent piece talking about the New York Giants five and one star and how... Everyone should be pouring praise on Brian Dayball and the offense coordinator, Mike Kafka, and how they've adapted their scheme dramatically to to support the players that they have. And and honestly, the lack of talent that they have, the lack of receiving talent that they have. This team has one completion more than 20 yards downfield. Every team has at least four. Like, they're not not able to create a lot of things downfield. Their receiving core is uh, a myriad of Darius, uh, Darius Slayton, David, David Sills, Marcus Johnson, Richie James. They're the only team in the NFL without a 200-yard receiver. Richie James leads the team with 189. Like, this offense is different, and it has to be, right? They're running more condensed formations. They're running heavier personnel. They're running more tight end stuff. Like, they have to be different. They have to be run heavy on offense to avoid, you know, avoid, you know, um, you know, not scoring points and losing games. And they've done that, right? I think adapting to that after Dayball and Kafka both have experience with, 
with offenses where they want to throw the ball downfield and they want to spread things out, condensing the formations and being run heavy has helped them win football games. Football games they probably shouldn't have won. They've been underdogs weekly, most recently underdogs against the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, at home, but five and a half point dogs at home, and they still come out with that win. Now, the Baltimore Ravens weren't trailing in that game until under two minutes or under three minutes, I think, in the game. And like that, in my opinion, is more on the Ravens. And I think Lamar Jackson in a press conference said them beating themselves. But the Giants, you still have to tip your cap for how they've closed out games and how they've won them. And I think on defense, Wink Martindale, that defense doesn't rank even top 15, I think, in efficiency so far this year. But they're playing a very volatile high ceiling, low floor type of defense because they're blitzing a lot in the running man coverage. And when it hits, it, it you know, leads to big havoc plays. I remember talking to Steve Smith, the, the former uh, NFL receiver at the combine. He's like, you gotta, you gotta, when I was working at PFF, he's like, you gotta add havoc plays. Havoc plays on defense are everything. You gotta create havoc plays. But they are creating havoc plays by getting big sacks, forcing fumbles, forcing interceptions, by running a very aggressive style of defense. That doesn't, that leads to low floors, right? That leads to big plays. When you blitz and you run man coverage, it can lead to big plays, but it's that volatile style defense that this team needs to play with the talent they have on both sides of the ball. So I do think that this Giants team is so well coached that they need to be backed consistently and, and respected consistently in the betting markets this week. They're three-point dogs on the road against the Jags. Where are you at on the Giants and how are you looking at this matchup? So a lot, a lot to take away from uh, from what you just shared and a lot going on here with regard to the, the Giants. So just big picture first, holistically, this team is at an interesting spot because they have had a lot of success that's not necessarily deserved in terms of their strength of their roster and who the, what they were supposed to do in their first six games this season. Um, there's a lot of people that are outside of the organization heaping praise on the coaching staff, and it's completely well-deserved. I talked a ton last week about Brian Dable. I'm not going to go down that path again. Everybody knows my feelings on him and how outstanding both he and Mike Kafka have been and what they've meant to this team in terms of the lack of talent and how they've had to win games. But one of the fun things about, I guess, like the curious things for them is they're used to having Josh Allen at quarterback or Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. And they're used to be able to call a bunch of pass plays and jump out the leads in games. And now they're sitting here with Daniel Jones, not a lot of wide receiver talent, and they should be running the football a little bit more because that's their strength. And they're wondering like, if this is normal for a team like theirs to fall behind in games. Is it normal that, that we are not necessarily going to be able to jump out and pounce on opponents early? We're scoring a lot of our points in the third and fourth quarter. We're struggling to have efficient offense in the first half of games because of the talent. Should we be scared? Should we try something new? Um, these are all questions that I think that they're asking themselves because of the talent is so different than what they're used to having previously. And they're able to overcome that later on in games, but they realize that that's not sustainable offense. That's not the way that you're going to consistently win games by coming back late in these games. So how can they jumpstart their offense earlier in games to have success? That's going to be a big question mark that they're going to be asking themselves and digging into. So um, we'll see how you know the next few weeks goes and if their offense can get started any faster. But um, it's it's definitely a question that they're asking inside that building. As it relates to this game in particular and the matchups with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think the bigger matchups on that other side of the ball, although Doug Peterson is their coach and we had a lot of faith entering the season that Doug is way different than Urban Meyer and Doug should be able to turn this team around and Doug's going to give Trevor what he needs to have success. Like, what's going on with Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I think that's a, legitimate question that needs to be asked. Why is he struggling like he is struggling? And one of the keys that is going to be a potential problem in this matchup is the way that the Giants play defense. So uh, I'll share some nuggets from Rich Rebar over at Sharp Football Analysis, who wrote up some uh, pretty provocative uh, notes here on Trevor Lawrence. In two games against the Indianapolis Colts, he's completed 45 of 52 passes. That's 87%. 7.7 yards per attempt, three passing touchdowns. Against everyone else, he's completed just 58% of his pass attempts for 6.6 .6 yards per attempt and a much lower touchdown rate. 
Now, the New York Giants blitz the shit out of you. They blitz at a league-high 48% of opponent dropbacks, and they play man coverage at the second-highest rate in the NFL, and obviously that means that they have a lot of plays where they're blitzing and playing man behind that. Trevor Lawrence averages just 5.3 air yards per attempt against the Blitz this season. That's 31st in the NFL. His passer rating is 10th worst in the NFL against the Blitz, and his success rate is somewhat similar. On Blitzes, when the defense then plays man coverage behind it, he's averaging 3.6 yards per attempt, which is 29th in the league, but he's averaging 9.2 yards per attempt against zone blitzes, which the Giants don't really utilize almost at all. So this is not actually, like, I I could tell you, this has been a massive sharp play. This is a massive play for multiple different bettors out there that have market influence or work in conglomeration with other guys that together collectively have market influence, all backing the Jacksonville Jaguars. This line was at some points two and a half earlier this week. It's now obviously at a solid three minus 10 on both sides of the ball. And part of the reasoning was pretty simple. The reasoning is that the Jaguars should have beat the Colts. They were up big on the Colts last week. They, they botched a game against the uh, Houston Texans. They lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the rain by one score. Um, and this is a team that had been getting things going previously. And they look at a Giants as a completely fraudulent 5-1 team. Completely fraudulent. And as a result, they've come in heavy on the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, the line's at three. And I'm sitting here looking at this game. And I do have concerns with Trevor Lawrence and his ability to have a lot of success against the style of defense that the New York Giants play. Yeah, I think the the style of defense is going to force these receivers to get open, right? Like I think when you play, when you blitz a lot and you run man coverage, your receivers have to get open and have to create separation early in the route, right? early in the route. When you have a bad receiving core, and you look at the Baltimore Ravens last week, no Rashad Bateman, and they're struggling to get Devin Duvernay open in man coverage and those things. Like it becomes, it, it's how that you know that how that defense works, right? Where the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I know have Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, like those guys need to get open against a very man-heavy defense, especially when they turn on the blitz early in the route. So Jacks, you know, so Trevor Lawrence has an open windows to throw to in those things. That is paramount for the Jacksonville Jaguars offense to, to get cooking. And I think they can do that, right? I don't, I don't think it's the best receiving core in the NFL, but I do think that, you know, that, that three Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, and Christian Kirk can live up to that billing. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, you mentioned blowing that game, you know, Trevor Lawrence had a, had a really good game against the Colts. There was one play, uh, I think it was late in the third quarter, where he threw a low, kind of inaccurate pass intended for Christian Kirk on third and one. That set up a fourth down where Doug Peterson called this like really ugly college speed option that uh, the Giants were able to stop while they're up 21 19. That was late in the third quarter. Jags score on their next possession still. They take the lead with 244. The issue was the defense on the subsequent, you know, subsequently. Shaquille Griffin in a one-on-one situation with the rookie Alec Pierce just got toasted, just got burnt with less than 20 seconds to go, and they, they get the go-ahead score. So I, I think the defense was a bigger concern in that Colts game, a defense that was top 10 in a lot of efficiency metrics uh, to start the season. That was the bigger concern. They got bullied by some big boys, you know, Jelani Woods, Molly Cox, Christian Kirk, Michael Pittman Jr. They got bullied. I think that Jaguars defense has a different task against the Giants receivers, a, a way different task. And David Sills, Marcus Johnson, Richie James, guys that there should be less fearful of. So I, I do like the Jacksonville Jaguars in this spot. I think at minus three is is still bettable. I think that minus two and a half, obviously getting under the hook is probably better there. I'm scared to say that out loud because I think Giants fans hate me because I've been talking about how, you know, quote unquote, maybe fraudulent this team may be at five and one. But at home with Trevor Lawrence, I, I think this Jacksonville Jaguars team is in a prime bounce back spot. I'm, I'm back in the Jags at minus three. The, the, key, the key to me is... The blitzing and does the offensive line have answers? Does Doug Peterson have enough answers? Because there's a few quarterbacks. One of the fun stats I always like to look at, Austin, especially like uh, six, eight weeks into the season, is which quarterbacks deal with pressure the best, which quarterbacks deal with pressure the least, and then are there matchups down the road here that we see pressure getting through? And you know, you can look at the sensitivity to pressure, and Trevor Lawrence is the number four most sensitive quarterback to pressure. Only the New England Patriots quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Jimmy G have worse splits with pressure versus without pressure. When he's not pressured, 
Trevor Lawrence plus 0.19 EPA when he is pressured minus 0.51 EPA per attempt. So you really, the, the biggest question that you have to ask yourself here is, do you think that they're going to have answers? Do you think they're going to be able to get the ball out quickly? Uh, can the receivers get the separation they need so that they can, so that he can get the ball out because he's just played absolutely horrifically in the face of pressure. Um, now, and, and keep in mind here, the other thing too, this is like last week was a great opportunity. Some of these teams, for whatever reason, Austin, first half versus second half, big splits, right? Big splits. The Giants, like I discussed, one of the lowest scoring teams in the first half of games. They've scored on just 28% of their possessions. That's 27th in the NFL. But in the second half, they're scoring on 50% of their possessions. That's second best in the NFL. So if you yeah. like the Jaguars here, um, at least if we want to play the history through the first six weeks, you may also want to look at betting them in the first half. Although I did discuss that the Giants are looking to start games off faster, maybe that's not going to happen in this game down in Jacksonville in the heat. And thus the Jags might get out here early in this one. And then you could look to bet the Giants in the second half number if the Jags start to slow down and if the blitz gets after Trevor Lawrence a little bit. So that's one way yep. to play it if you are looking to back the Jaguars and you don't have to lay the full three points for the full game. I, I do like J the Jags first half line. I, I think you could probably get it at like one and a half, two in some spots. I, I think that's phenomenal. I think when you look at the point, mar you know, point differential in the first half, Jacksonville Jaguars rank 11th in the league. The New York Giants rank 27th. And as much as you know, like you're saying, the Giants want to start off faster and, and want to get things going. You know, I, I want to be six foot three. I, I don't know how quickly I could turn that around. <laughs> you know, I think start, starting off quickly in the first half of games is is definitely a gas pedal you want to push down. But sometimes you just don't have the horses to do it. Right, like they want to be run first, run heavy, play defense, and that doesn't lead to an exorbitant amount of points to start. And I think that's that where, where opposing game plans, I think, can have success against a very volatile, high-risk, high, you know, high-ceiling, low-floor defense. Where in the second half, though, where this Dayball Kafka unit, what Wintendale, Mark, Mark Wintendale, uh, Wink Martindale unit really step up, they're third in point differential. It's the Buffalo Bills, it's the Cincinnati Bengals, and it's the New York Giants in the second half in point differential. They are they step it up in the second half, find ways to create turnovers, find ways to create those havoc plays, and ultimately win football games. Back in the Jags this week, I like them at minus three. I'm probably looking at the first half line as well. But man, this Giants team, still really, really well coached. I'm stealing a line before we get to the Jets and Broncos. I was listening to the Ringer NFL recap show, which goes on every week on the Ringer NFL feed with Nora Princiani, Steve Ruiz, and Benjamin Solak. And one of my favorite expressions I've heard this year came from Nora Princiati when she said, celebrate the right parade. It's okay to have a parade, but celebrate the right parade. You know, and in, in New York specifically with the Giants and even sometimes with, with the Jets, it's important to look at what the right parade is in New York. You have five wins and you're favored to make the playoffs because of those five wins, because you have such a healthy lead and you're in a division where you get to play Washington twice. You got Detroit coming up. Like you have a favorable schedule down the stretch. Like you should make the playoffs. Let's celebrate that. The wrong parade, I think, in New York is to start to extrapolate some of this early season success that has been admittedly volatile and look at a Daniel Jones extension, maybe making Saquon Barkley the highest paid running back in the NFL. Where this turns the opposite of Fruitwell is when you celebrate, I think, the wrong parade and extrapolate some of this early season success where you haven't been able to start out quickly, where you have one pass down the field of, or, or 20 plus yards downfield completed when you start to look at extending Daniel Jones and doing these other things. I think the wrong parade, it could be, could look, could look tasty. You could look tasty to celebrate the wrong parade in New York and, and hand out some extensions that maybe disrupt what is a very, very confident rebuild from Joe Shane and Brian Dayball. But the right parade right now is we are 5-1, and one, favored to make the playoffs, and we got some easy schedule down the way. Let's go into Jacksonville and somehow come out with another upset win. If you listen to Brian Dayball's press conferences after games and listen very carefully to the words that he is choosing, th this is a team that's not going to get blinded by the wins and losses. You talked at the top of the show, are wins and losses one of the most overrated statistics? Brian Dayball and, 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 and Joe Shane, it's important, and Mike Kafka, it's important to heap praise upon these guys for the job that they are doing. But they are not going to then second-guess their pre-flop notion of their roster by the fact that they're five and one and then change their thoughts on, well, could we win with Daniel Jones? Could we win with Saquon Barkley taking up a massive percentage of our cap hit? It's a very solid and, and well-centered organization that understands the way that you win games in the NFL. As I just told you, they're trying to figure out how to start faster in games because they know that's the key to success. 
uh, long term is building these leads in the first half. And they don't have a quarterback that's able to do that. So they're not going to get blinded and say, hey, Daniel Jones is taking us to five and one. We could win with this guy. Let's just add a couple more wide receivers. Let's bring in a big, expensive free agent wide receiver. Like they aren't dumb. That's not going to happen. I feel very good about that. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Let's get to the, the other New York team. The New York Jets are heading to Denver to take on Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Broncos right now are one and a half point favorites at home. I wrote in my power rankings file this week on TheRinger.com. I want to apologize to Robert Sala and Jets diehards. After week one, I ranked them as the 32nd ranked team. I call them the league's punching bag. And soon after, Sala had the receipts rant. I mocked him for that. I didn't think that was that great. I think it was it was uh, dangerous. But man, have they showed up. The Jets are 4-2 on the season, winning as underdogs similar to the New York football giants. And then also with Denver, looking at this spot, I don't think you're touching the panic button. I think you're sleeping on it. Like you, you, you got you got weights on this panic button in Denver. They have a 242.5 million dollar quarterback, and the offense ranks 29th in offensive EPA per drive and 30th in success rate. Blame Nathaniel Hackett all you want in Denver. Honestly, like for the game management, he doesn't know how to use timeouts. He's still learning. Whatever. Russell Wilson has not played well, and that is the bigger concern. You can fire Nathaniel Hackett tomorrow. It doesn't count against the cap. Just some rich owners at the top have to pay him some extra money. Russell Wilson, you're committed to for a while. And if you can't get it right, which by all signs, by anyone who's been watching this team, they're running an offense that Russell Wilson wants to run. This isn't Hackett's offense, you know, soup to nuts. This is an offense Wilson wants to run. And every single week, missing receivers open over the middle of the football field, whether that's his height or just him not looking at that area of the field, it continues to happen. He's 23rd an EPA per dropback on the season among all quarterbacks. I know they don't have Javante Williams. I know that the offensive line has been battered up as well. But this is unacceptable. The Denver Broncos aren't playing well, and their quarterback is not living up to his contract. Whereas for the Jets, the offense has struggled. You know They don't have the same successes with Daniel Jones and a Saquon Barkley. Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco among quarterbacks with at least 60 dropbacks this year ranked 32nd and 34th. An EPA per dropback, they both struggled. Steven Weiss, or I think Seth Galina of PFF just tweeted this out. They're 0 for 19 when throwing the ball outside of structure. That's both Wilson and Flacco, 0 for 19. Like, this offense is struggling outside of the times that they're having success with Brees Hall on the ground and, 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 and those things. Defensively, I think even better than, you know, um, the New York Giants and what they have there, Robert Saul has this defense cooking. Both rookie Sauce Gardner, who I think is very fittingly crowning himself, crowning himself with a cheese head after that win over Green Bay last week. And then DJ Reed Jr., their other outside cornerback, ranked ninth and seventh in passer rating allowed this season, according to PFF. A lot, you know, you look at that and you see two outside cornerbacks ranked inside the top 10. That's defense. And that's the same defense that Robert Sala had in San Francisco that was cooking as well. So this Jets defense, I think, is legit. I think their run game is fantastic. I think Brees Hall is leading that. But on the other side, the Broncos, man, they need to figure it out because they have talent. No one's going to argue that. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, they have talent, but uh, they're just not living up to the billing. They aren't. I uh, don't know what the answer is. Uh, really, it might be in their best interest to let Russ 
instead of Cook, let, let him sit. Let him sit and watch what's going on out <laughs> on the field. I, I don't really know the way to fix Russell Wilson, but certainly their coaching staff doesn't seem like they're able to fix it. It's it's almost like his his eye discipline and, you know, just like sometimes just take the easy throw, get rid of the ball, stop hanging on to it. He seems to lock on to too many of his reads. He seems to try to force plays pre-snap, determine where he wants to go with the football uh, too early and then just hold on to it until he feels it's the time, the right time to throw the ball, as opposed to taking what the defense gives him as that picture changes after the snap and you know, find the guy that's that's open. There are guys out there that are open. He's just not going after them properly. And I, I'm not quite sure what the logic is there for him, but um, reevaluating his process might be something that he needs to do here. Um, look, this is a game, it, it's hard to even talk about this game from a betting perspective right now because we don't know if Russ is going to play. And that's obviously going to change the number. We've already seen the market have massive shifts here. This was supposed to be, Denver minus three, three and a half with a total of 43 and a half. And when the line reopened after the game on Monday night, it was still Denver minus three and the total was still around 43. And, you know, now all those threes are gone because we don't know if Russell Wilson's going to play. It's down to the Jets only catching one to one and a half points on the road in Denver, which obviously would never be the number, even as bad as Russell Wilson is playing at this point in the season, if Russ was healthy and playing in this game. The total obviously has been smacked down towards the under. 43 would have been a great number to go under the total up because the line is now 38 and a half. And uh, that's just a, a, a super low total. But if it's Brett Rippon, for example, then that makes a lot more sense here. Uh, I think from an X's and O's perspective, this is a great opportunity for the Jets offense to have more success. A little different than what they played in Green Bay last week, but I love their ability in Green Bay to go in there to utilize some of the play action concepts, the Packers stink stopping to run, and they're bad against play action. You're going to be able to utilize that to open up things down the field. You got another opponent in the Denver Broncos that's a perfect match for this giant, uh, this Jets offense, and that is that they are number one against the pass, but they're number 18 against the run. They're number 23. That's 10th worst in the NFL in EPA against the run. You're going to be able to get Brees Hall going in this game. That's going to support everything that you're trying to do through the air. You're going to be able to then incorporate in some of these nice play action concepts. You're going to be able to incorporate in some of these wrinkles and some of these uh, creative designed runs that they've got going that they scored. Brees Hall scored a lovely touchdown on last week in Green Bay. I mean, th there is going to be opportunities here and then. It shouldn't be that difficult for the Jets defense to both get after the quarterback, especially if it's in either non 100% Russell Wilson or Brett Rippon type, uh, and then slow down this run game as well and not really give them a whole lot of oxygen uh, in Denver. So it, it does set up really well for the Jets here. And kudos to those people who got the threes on the Jets or who took the under 43 because you're obviously sitting pretty right now with the way the current market sits. I am big on backing the Jets here. Big on backing the Jets, at, at, even at plus one and a half. I probably don't bet it until we know if Russell Wilson or Brett Rippon is taking the start. And I think I'm looking at the total as well as, a, as an under opportunity. I think a perfect situation for Jets backers would be to see that Russell Wilson is starting despite the injury, say Friday that comes out, Saturday that comes out, whenever. And then that maybe that line gets moved back out to minus two, minus two and a half, minus three, and then still taking the Jets at plus three and on the money line. I, I think that the Broncos defense, number two in EPA per play, number two in yards per play allowed, it is a very, very talented defense that is going to suffocate a good Jets football or, or um, you know a, a good Jets offensive line in a run game. But still, in, in a game where I think it's going to be close and I don't think a lot of points are going to be scored, I'm leaning on Salah and the Jets and, and that football team handling the game better in the third and fourth quarter to, to ultimately pull out the win. I think I'm going to spring, I'm going to wait to bet this game until maybe if it gets back out to three, uh, if, if they officially announce that Rippon is the starter, I'm interested to see where this line moves. But overall, I, I do like the Jets in this spot. I, I, I think that the Jets... I wish I got them at plus three. At, at plus one and a half, I'm probably going to wait until we see who the quarterback is. It's now, just before we get into the last game, it's now down to pick them. Um, looking at the screen, it's as we're talking here, it's moving down to pick them. So obviously the line's indicating that uh, there's a, there's 
pretty good chance that it's not going to be Russell Wilson. But I agree with you. If you want to back the Jets, I would actually rather get a little bit of line value on the spread and see an injured Russell Wilson in there than I would to be laying the points with the backup quarterback for the Broncos uh, going in there. But uh, we'll see where this game opens uh, once they announce that. Last but not least, Kansas City Chiefs at the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers are three-point dogs at home. The, the Niners, man, are, are banked up. I think they're the most, if not, you know, they're one of the most, if not the most injury play teams in the NFL right now. I mean, multiple starters, Trey Lance, George Kittle, Bosa, Williams, or, or Trent Williams, Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward have all missed games, and some on that list continue to miss games due to injury. Starting quarterback this past week, Jarvarius Ward left the game in the second half with a groin injury. Offensive tackle Mike McGlinchey left the game in the second half with a calf injury in that loss against the Atlanta Falcons in week six, 28-14. I, I worry about how hurt this team is. I know D'Amico Ryans is fantastic. I know that um, you know Jimmy Garoppolo, since taking over, I think is top 10 in EPA per play since week two. Like th- This team has managed to still have success. But eventually, and as you saw on the road against Atlanta when they lose 28-14, eventually these injuries are just going to stack up. Like There's almost too many injuries to count at this point for San Francisco. It worries me that as good as Kyle Shanahan is, as good as D'Amico Ryans is, and as good as the remaining healthy players are, Debo Samuel, Brand Ayuk, I know Kittle his back, I still worry that this 49ers team might be too hurt to stave off a, a very good Kansas City Chiefs team, obviously, the number two team uh, in the NFL, or in the AFC. I, I, I worry about the San Francisco 49ers team, and, and so much of this, mi- you know, this minus three for the Chiefs, even on the road, looks good to me. Yeah, I agree. Look, th- there's, there's a lot of problems that exist here with um, trying to handicap this game as a result of all these injuries, the Chiefs and the, and, and the Niners, because, look, if you look at the 49ers team, this is a team, as you mentioned, a lot of their injuries there and their secondary is banged up as well. And that didn't actually present nearly as big of a problem last week against Marcus Mariota because I think they threw the ball. I think Mariota only threw 14 passes. Um, so <laughs> their backup cornerbacks weren't really targeted, but they had like Samuel Womack out there and Lenore on the other side. Uh, they were targeted only three times because the, the, Atlanta Falcons were up and they were able to run the ball and they don't throw the ball a lot to begin with. And so I was talking about that a little bit on the show with House on Friday. It wasn't the worst matchup in the world for having a beaten up secondary going up against a team like the Atlanta Falcons. But guess what? When you have a beaten up secondary and you're going up Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs offense, that is something that's going to be a bigger problem. On the other side of the ball, you know, is, is, uh, either Trent McDuffie or Richard Fenton going to be back for the secondary because we saw that Chiefs secondary get absolutely destroyed by the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. And, you know, they had their rookie fourth round pick Joshua Williams out there. He was torched by the Bills, allowed five completions on the day and two touchdowns despite being targeted only seven times. Um, We don't know if, I don't know yet. Fenton's got a hamstring. McDuffie might come back this week. They thought he was close last week. They decided to hold him out and then he might come back. This is a game like we've seen the 49ers throw the football a little bit more than usual in terms of increase their passing rate. And uh, they might do that here as well against this Chiefs secondary. But you can run on the Chiefs as well. The Chiefs ranked third worst in EPA per rush attempt allowed to opposing running backs over the last three weeks and are also allowing 1.9 yards before contact per rush attempt, which ranks 10th worst in the NFL. So you're having success, whether it's on the ground or in the air against the Kansas City Chiefs at this present point in time. But the 49ers' injuries to that offensive line, you know, I'm not sure how Kyle's going to want to play this one out and how he's going to try to attack. And obviously, they may be forced as a home underdog to throw the ball more if the Chiefs get up. Uh, but that might not be the worst thing in the world so long as they can protect Jimmy G, as I mentioned before. He is one of those few quarterbacks that has massive splits this season against pressure versus not being pressured. And if the Chiefs are able to deal with a banged-up offensive line and get some pressure on Jimmy G when the 49ers are down and they're trying to pass the ball, it's not going to look so pretty for the 49ers offense here. And they obviously have a better pass rush than did the Atlanta Falcons last week. So um, a lot of question marks here for this one, and it's predicated upon injuries, which is why studying the injury report specifically for this game is going to uh, probably lead you to some edges late in the week, but we're not going to yeah. know those here Wednesday morning before those reports start to come out. 
Yeah, we're recording this podcast Wednesday, 8 o'clock a.m. PT. I think being hot on the injury reports, if you're looking to back, if you're looking to back any team in this game, hot on the injury reports to see who's back for the Chiefs, who is back for the San Francisco 49ers is going to be super important. Real quickly on the Chiefs, it's the Mahomes show in Kansas City right now. The offensive line is allowing pressure at a reckless rate, 28th in pressure rate allowed. The defense, yes, due to injuries, but also Spagnolo like playing a very volatile, high-risk defense as well. He blitzes maybe. So, there's so many times when you see Spagnolo throwing the blitz and, and being aggressive. And, and, and look at that end-of-half situation where the Buffalo Bills on 3rd and 13 on their own one were able to still drive down the football field and score, score before the end of the half a, a touchdown. Is insane. Like, and I think that's Spagnuolo being maybe a bit too aggressive there, living and dying by the blitz and dying specifically on that second half score. I worry about this defense. It ranks 29th in sex, success rate through week six. What I don't worry about, even after the interception that obviously secured that game, that win over um, the Chiefs by, by Teron Johnson in that Buffalo Bills game, I don't worry about Mahomes. Mahomes is the 1B to Allen's 1A in, in quarterbacks right now. He is a freak. He is an alien. And he really does create margin for error for this Chiefs team. Like, the defense can be 29th in success rate. The offensive line can be 28th in pressure rate allowed. The, op- the receiving core can not have Tyree Kill. And this Patrick Mahomes, like Kansas City Chiefs team, is still going to go in to every single game, likely favored. I know they were not favored against the Buffalo Bills, but probably any other team in the NFL, they're favored. And um, rightfully so, because they have the second-best quarterback in the NFL right now. I think Josh Allen's the best. I think Josh Allen's the favorite to win the MVP for good reason. But Patrick Holmes is right there with them in a tier by themselves, right? I don't think there's another quarterback sniffing what Josh Allen and Patrick Holmes are doing right now. And when you have a Chiefs team only favored by three against a very injury-battered San Francisco 49ers team, the more, so much of me wants to get that three before maybe it comes three and a half. And the injury report shows that Bosa's still not coming back. Trent Williams, all these guys are still not coming back. And, and this 49ers team is still hurt. That's going to do it for this episode of the Ringer Gambling Show with Warren Sharp and myself. Make sure you check out the East, East Coast Bias Show. I know they're going to be tweeting out or sending out their SGP for the NBA. The NBA is back. I don't bet the NBA a lot, but I do love betting Damian Lillard. Oakland zone. I'm from Oakland. Big fan of Damian Lillard. I always bet his over points total. Just anytime I turn on the Blazers, man. Always betting on Damian Lillard. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Ringer Gambling Show. Until next time, big shout out to our producer, Mike Wargon, uh, Connor Nevin, Steve Cerruti, Asa Gale, Warren Sharp, the Ringer Gambling Show. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.